This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, I'm Roshan Kandison and welcome to Resource Center, your one-stop shop for insights and strategies to help you build, grow and manage your business. In 2024, there are three key themes in the tax space this year for businesses, notably the increase in SST, the new capital gains tax and not to forget e-invoicing that's slated for implementation in August with pilots starting in May. Uh, while these topics are really important, transfer pricing is something else that businesses need to keep in mind, especially with the change Changes in uh, made in May last year by IRB, which published the Income Tax Transfer Pricing Rules 2023, which is supposed to be operative from the 2023 assessment and onwards, which means this year's tax filing. These changes signify a notable shift in LHGN's approach to transfer pricing compliance. So with the incoming tax season, we're going to dive into this today to help you better understand what transfer pricing is and what the new changes mean for businesses for this tax season. Helping me with this is Harvinder Singh. He's the managing partner of Harvind Associates and council member with CTIM, that's the Chartered Tax Institute of Malaysia. In the meantime, if you have any thoughts or questions, you can WhatsApp us on our U mobile number. That's 018-789-8899. Harvinder, welcome back to the show. Good to speak to you. I think last time was with Rich. Yes, thank you, Roshan, and it's good to be back. I... Look forward to a very interesting discussion today. It is going to be an interesting discussion. I just a little bit, in, in, but um, transfer pricing is actually really interesting for businesses with multiple offices across the globe. And this is a particular focus for you as well. Tell us a little bit about why this is a particular interest to you, Havinder. Uh, well, Roshan, I do a lot of work pertaining to transfer pricing for my clients. Uh, we service a lot of Japanese companies. So they've got transactions with uh, the related parties uh, around the globe in J- Singapore, Japan, and other parts of the world. So it's an important area. It's part of our requirement to ensure <laughs> that uh, compliance with TP takes place. And compliance with TP is something that's changed a lot with the new rules coming in. And we'll dive into that. Yes, certainly. Harvey, yeah. uh, transfer pricing, uh, basically businesses need to validate that related party transaction are being carried out in a arm's length manner. And if I understand correctly, part of this is to help this help prevent the shifting of profits okay. to lower tax jurisdictions. Yeah. Now, before we did define what an arm's length transaction is and what transfer pricing is, first things first, what is a related party transaction? What does it entail? How do you define it? Uh, firstly, a related party itself, uh, the definition of one, if you talk about companies, it's where you've got at least 20% shareholding in the company. And uh, in fact, uh, up to 2019, it was, if you have got more than 50% equity, then it was related party. But the scope was widened by reducing the equity uh, threshold to 20%. So it covers a lot of transactions, a lot of uh, companies. Uh, therefore, there's a need for most you know, about two-thirds, statistically speaking, two-thirds of world trade actually takes place within uh, related parties. So the impact of transpricing on the, you know, the, the number of companies, entities, uh, it is really, really uh, significant. So it's important. Uh, they need to validate that the related party transactions are being carried out in an arm's length manner. Arm's length itself is, you know, something that needs to be defined and explained. And we'll come to that. Yes, we will. And uh, it's really, this is all actually very fascinating, especially when we're seeing <coughs> globally concerted efforts to map out or at least better define tax jurisdictions and so that countries are capturing the taxes that are actually supposed to be paid to their jurisdictions and we're seeing all these defined, especially with the global minimum tax coming into play. Obviously, that's a different topic altogether. So let's talk about transfer pricing then, uh, Harvey. I gave a little bit of a brief 
kind of description of it. Could you sure. elaborate on that, please? Well, actually, as the name suggests, is transfer and shifting, and you've already mentioned it, profits. So the whole uh, narrative basically revolves around this practice of taxpayers to uh, set their prices in such a manner mm. that uh, it, in, it uh, facilitates the shifting of profits. Now, that's the uh, <laughs> suspicion. That's the whole you know, concern of the tax authorities. It may or may not be happening, but that's the suspicion. And therefore, there's a need for related parties to validate, to, to show and to prove that, uh, no, their transactions are being carried out in a similar fashion to the transactions would have been carried out by unrelated parties, third parties. So when you talk about shifting of profits, why and how does this work? Uh, I think a very simple example, Malaysian tax, corporate tax rate is at 24%. Singapore is 17 That's our neighbor. Ah. So if you have a <laughs> holding company in Singapore with a manufacturing arm in Malaysia, the tendency would have been, in the past at least, because a lot of uh, focus is on scrutiny is down on TP now, that uh, the Malaysian manufacturer will pro- perhaps uh, sell the goods to Singapore at a very low price. So they make a very small margin over here or could be loss making. And the Singapore company, which is basically just uh, having a rented office, the Malaysian company has got a factory building, it's got 2,000 employees, uh, doesn't earn much, but the Singapore company uh, basically sells it on to the rest of the world at a much higher price, the market price. So the lion, you know, no pun intended, but the lion's share of the profits <laughs> are captured in the lion city. <laughs> and that, that is the primary concern because Singapore tax is at 17%. So... This is not in line with the efforts put in by the Malaysian entity. The functions, most of the functions are carried out over here. Most of the efforts are put in over here. Most of the risk is assumed over here. But the value is being captured somewhere else. It's being captured over there. Um, and which is obviously a concern to LHDN, obviously. the government, but yeah. also to us, right, as Malaysians. If yes. we're not capturing the value here, it looks like our companies are losing money, not doing indeed, well. Indeed. Yep. And we're not seeing that value captured yeah, so it's, in the, it's in the interest of the nation for the tax authorities to ensure that the tax base is uh, protected and also it's important I guess to in this recognize that I know for, uh, for maybe the non-business folks who are listening that when you have a subsidiary here it's a company and you have an, your ho- home office or your home company in Singapore you technically have to sell the goods to them, which yes. means it's a transaction. It's not like I just give you uh, indeed, the thing. Indeed, yeah. So that's why this is coming into play. Sure. Um, and we will talk a little bit more about the changes later, Havinda. Um, now, arms length pricing. Talk to us about what this entails. Give us maybe an example in, a, in illustration sure. to better help us grasp what this truly means. Okay. Um, the basic concept is that, uh, and in, in fact, the definition of uh, arm's length in the IRB's guidelines, which were published in 2012, <clears throat> there is uh, a need for new guidelines to be published to take into account the latest updates. But this defines, it defines arm's length as the price which would have been determined if the transactions were carried out between independent parties. And not just the price, but under similar circumstances. Right. So it's essentially, uh, when you talk about Independent transactions or third-party transactions, the uh, forces of uh, you know market forces will come into play, demand and supply, uh, bargaining strength of the two parties will you know come into play as well, and so those are factors that are commercially driven that gives rise to that particular transaction and the values that are arrived at. Whereas for related parties, the suspicion is that uh, it is all about profit management. It's about tax management. So we need to basically, it's, it's sort of benchmarking 
the pricing or the margins that we set with the margins or prices that are set by third parties. And just to give a very simple illustration, I hope this, this sort of uh, you know, clears it up a little bit. Um, if we have uh, company X in Ramarhat purchasing a piece of land from a third party and the purchase price is $3 million, right? when the market value is $6 million, the reason why uh, company X is able to purchase from the third party is perhaps the third party is in dire need of funds, uh, so their bargaining strength is not really there. And uh, every entity would uh, basically aspire to sell their goods or their assets at as high a price as possible. That's the intention. And I'm sure the third party would have been trying to do that, but they are not in a position to do that. They need the funds, and maybe Company X is aware of their predicament, and therefore they are basically pushing for a low price. So Company X purchases this land for $3 million when the market value is 6 and in a back-to-back arrangement, it sells that land at $3 million as well to its related party. Right? So for Company X, they're selling at a price at which they, where they purchase from the third party, that being their basis of selling it to a related party at $3 million as well and saying that, oh, it's an arm's length price. But it's not just the price. We have to look at whether the circumstances that you are facing when you're transacting with a related party are similar to the circumstances that you faced when you transacted with a third party. Third party was in dire need of funds. Uh, they were trying to sell it uh, as high a price as possible. Became a fire sale, basically. Became a fire sale. But between these related parties, uh, that kind of bargaining stand doesn't come into the equation. Company X has not tried to sell it at as high a price as possible. Should have sold at six, it sold at three. So each entity is supposed to aspire to sell at as high a price as possible. They fail to do that. So this is where the tax authorities can come in to do an adjustment to say that, hang on, your transaction is not an arm's length transaction because uh, you should have sold it at $6 million, which is the market value. You did not. By shifting it, transferring it to a related party at $3 million, company X is essentially shifting its own taxes to a future period because the subsidy company may develop it and sell the piece of land in future and pay taxes at that point in time. So this, this, uh, uh, this is essentially what arm's length uh, you know, transaction or pricing is all about. Benchmarking against third-party transactions for the price and for the margins and to look at whether the circumstances under which you are carrying out uh, the transaction are similar. Uh, this sounds super subjective. And on top <laughs> it of, is, it is. And on top of that, yeah. it sounds complicated and now you're getting the tax authority involved in what before this was market dynamics, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, I wonder how this is, what is, what this is going to do to the ease of doing business for global companies here in Malaysia. But that's, I guess, something to be explored in a different show at a different, uh, on, a, on a different topic. Sure. Um, but is, is this something that's primarily a concern between uh, related parties in uh, between Malaysia and another jurisdiction? Or is it even something that some that should be paid attention to if you uh, both re- both companies are here in the in-country? Yeah, uh, the TP rules and the TP guidelines in Malaysia basically apply equally to cross-border transactions and to transactions uh, within Malaysia as well. And uh, on that point, on that note, uh, actually up to, I think, December last year, um, if there are two companies in Malaysia that are paying taxes and transacting with one another, whether you sell the product to company B from company A at a high price or low price, ultimately the tax to be paid by both companies would be the same. Because what if you're selling at 100 on one side, the cost is 100 on the other side. If you're selling at 50 on one side, the cost is 50 on the other side. It's going to be constant. So there was, um, uh, in the TP guidelines of 2012, 
to ease the cost, you know, the, the cost of doing business and to reduce the cost of doing business because to prepare TP documentation itself is a cost factor that's involved. Uh, they were are not required to comply with the TP guidelines. In other words, you don't have to prepare wow. the TP documentation. So this is a big change. That was uh, all the while there. Yeah. But what has happened now in 2013, there is this uh, flow, in 2023, yeah. there's a flow chart from the IRB, which uh, seems to indicate that, uh, no, you still have to prepare. So it's going to be additional cost, additional work to be done. Previously, you don't have to. If it's uh, the prevailing tax rate for both the parties concerned are the same, there's not going to be a difference in the tax collection from the tax authorities if they do any adjustments. But with this uh, uh, change in the flowchart, it seems to imply, because we have to see what the guidelines say as well, and the guidelines, latest guidelines are not issued yet, that uh, that is no longer the case. Even if both the companies are taxpaying at the same rate, they still have to prepare transfer pricing documentation. So it's going In other to words, they have, to, they have to prepare documentation to justify their transactions. So it's going to be a busy year for tax folks. Huh? You've got, you got the uh, capital gains tax coming into play, SSD, you got e-invoicing, <laughs> and now you have, no wonder every tax person I speak to says they're super busy this year. <laughs> it is, it is uh, quite uh, overwhelming, I would say. <laughs> um, so I, mean, I understand there's a bit more to, to explain with regards to documentation, but let's go into a few messages first, and then we'll come back and talk a little bit more about that. All right. Sure. All right. Uh, folks, you listening to Resource Center, your one-stop shop for insight strategies and tools to help you build, grow, and manage your business. And today we're talking about transfer pricing, particularly with the tax season incoming for businesses and with changes last year to transfer pricing, which will come into effect with this year's tax filing. I'm speaking with Harvinder Singh, Managing Partner of Harvey & Associates. He's also Council Member with the Chartered Tax Institute of Malaysia. I'm Roshan Kurnison. We'll be back in just a bit. So keep it here at BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Busy Finding Money, BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, welcome back to Resource Centre, your one-stop shop for insights and strategies to help you build, grow and manage your business. I'm Roshan Kanesan and today we're talking about transfer pricing on the back of the fact that the tax season for businesses, for most businesses, is incoming. And with changes last year, transfer pricing coming into effect in this year's filing, Harvinder Singh, Managing Partner of Harvey & Associates and Council Member with the Chartered Tax Institute of Malaysia, is helping us break down what transfer pricing is and what the changes mean for businesses this year. And uh, Harvinder, earlier we talked a little bit about some key definitions. We broke down what uh, arm's length was, what related party transactions uh, entail, and uh broad definition of transfer pricing as well as but we also started a little bit about documentation so um let's let's recap a little bit about what you were talking about earlier in documentation and uh in terms of the expectations uh from irb and uh is there anything else that companies need to prepare in terms of documentation related to transfer pricing from this uh, from 2023 year assessment onwards sure uh, well actually there's been a need to prepare tp documentation transfer pricing documentation and uh with 2023, there are additional requirements or the content mm. is enhanced. So <laughs> it's uh, getting more and more interesting <laughs> as time goes by. Uh, basically, under the TP guidelines, for companies which have got uh, more than 25 million turnover and more than 15 million uh, related party transactions, they need to prepare what we call the full TP documentation. So you've got to talk about the organizational structure, you've got to talk about the industry, you do the industry analysis, you've got to talk about uh, um, benchmarking, looking at uh, other parties, 
you have to talk about a transpiring policy. There's a whole lot of information that is contained. But uh, for companies that do not breach those thresholds, 25 million turnover, 15 million related by transactions, they can opt. They can always do the full TP doc if they want to, uh, or they can opt for a simplified version of the transpiring documentation. Mm. So the TP doc is basically like uh, your opportunity to tell the story to the IRB that uh, your related party transactions are being carried out in an arm's length manner. You will do that benchmarking, you'll do that explanation, you'll explain why, uh, if at all, your the prices at which you're selling to a third party differ from the prices uh, for transactions with uh, related parties. And again, a small illustration over there, if uh, I'm company A and I sell my goods to a related party overseas, right, for eight ringgit, and 80% of my sales are to the related party overseas, 20% are to the to one single third party in Malaysia, and I'm selling my goods at eight ringgit to the related party, but at 10 ringgit to the third party. Now, uh, at face value, there is an issue because you're selling to a third party at 10, whereas to a related party at two, uh, at eight, and the IRB says that, oh, this should be at 10 because uh, you are losing out, we are losing out the two ringgit, tax on the two ringgit per, per unit. So the uh, IRB's uh, objective would be to try to adjust that transaction value to 10. It's down to the taxpayer to explain, to validate in the TP documentation that, no, hang on, the reason why it's at 8 is because when we sell to a related party, there are certain functions we don't have to carry out. We don't have to do advertising, marketing, etc. All this is going to incur cost if we do it. So if we, are, if we don't have that cost, uh, when we sell to a third party, we have to entertain them, we have to advertise, we have that additional cost. Selling at 10 ringgit to a third party is necessary to cover that additional cost. Mm. When we sell at 8, eight ringgit to a related party, such cost is not non-existent, so it's okay, we can still make a profit. So those kind of justifications, uh, the fact that I'm selling 80% of my... So it could be a volume game as well. Volume right? game. You can make that, that the wholesale versus retail kind of argument as well. Yes, yes. So it's, it's about explaining... So that's we are talking about functions, and you talk about the risk factor. The higher the risk, the, you know, the investment mantra, then the higher the risk, the higher the return. Mm. Actually, applies to transpiring as well. So, if I am selling to a related party, it's more or less an assured sale. It's going to take place for the foreseeable future. Uh, so the risk we are not talking about a quantitative risk over here. The qualitative risk is uh, lower, and therefore, I am willing to sell at a lower price. Whereas the third party. There today, gone tomorrow. So the risk of not uh, having that sale in future. It's not a guaranteed recurring sale. Yep. So you want to try to maximize and sell as high as higher price as possible. These are the type of, uh, I suppose, justifications that you are looking at. They must be. It's not storytelling. It's based on the commercial reality that the taxpayer is facing. So ultimately, although the prices are different, but the transactions carried out by the related party is an arm's length transaction because of the various factors that have uh, led to that kind of pricing policy in place. Um, so uh, there's a term that was mentioned, uh, contemporaneous uh, transfer pricing documentation. Could you explain what that entails? Well, uh, the basic idea behind TP again is that as and when you are carrying out your transactions with a related party, uh, you should be looking at perhaps doing a comparison with a third party to get those kind of uh, benchmarking results. This is your benchmarking, right? Yeah. So it's, it's about trying to do it in a contemporaneous manner, contemporarily, right? Rather than uh, doing it five years on the track. And uh, mm. the old definition of a contemporaneous uh, documentation meant that, as I mentioned, as and when you're carrying on your transactions, uh, you need to 
sort of do this kind of uh, uh, comparability analysis. Now, the practical problem with that is that another thing we got to talk about is what we call an internal comparable. When I talked about selling at uh, eight ringgit to a related, related party and to a third party, I have got all the information and the details because it's an internal comparable. I've got a third you have party more access transaction. to information. Yes, I have access to all the information that I need. So in those circumstances, I'm able to do this uh, uh, justification and documentation keeping, etc., uh, on a contemporaneous basis. But if I do not have an internal comparable, then we have to go out there and search for comparables. And pricing comparison may not be possible because there might be nobody else out there that is selling a similar product that, uh, to what you and I might be selling. So we go on uh, comparing the margins right, that are earned by the, the party that's being tested and the margins earned by the other parties that we are comparing. So you're going to go and look for a comparable set maybe 10, 20 companies. Uh, basically, the search is normally widened to maybe 500, 1,000 companies. Then it may dwindle down to the last four or five that are comparable because from the chosen comparables that we've taken earlier, uh, some may be selling totally unrelated products, some may be having losses, some may have significant related party transactions themselves. So anyway, there's a benchmarking analysis that needs to be done. And uh, to get that information on uh, external parties, it is not possible to do it during the year consent because you have to wait for the at least the audited accounts of the external parties to be prepared, which will only and, and available at the SSM or CCM. And that will only happen in the subsequent year. So in 2022, uh, I'll have to wait till maybe August or September or June, July of 2023 to have access to comparable data, uh, mm-hmm. data of my comparables. So the definition of contemporaneous right, was, wow. was not in line with the uh, actual uh, political issues that were faced. Therefore, in July 2023, the TP rules that were introduced, they redefined the meaning of contemporaneous documentation. Basically, if uh, I need to file my tax return on 30th of August of 2024 for 2023, by the date I file the tax return, my TP documentation must be available must be uh, available in the event the tax authorities would request for it. So now the meaning of contemporaneous is your documentation must be ready by the time the tax filing needs to be done. That's a big change. It is. It's, I think, to recognize the uh, practical issue with uh, what the previous definition entailed. Um, Ari, we've got to go into a few more messages. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit about some of the other key changes that were made in May last year, to uh, May, July last year, uh, to the transfer pricing rules sure. and what that entails, as well as some of the compliance issues or compliance concerns and uh, possible penalties as well. Folks, I've been speaking with Harvinder Singh. He's the managing partner of Harvin Associates and council member with the Chartered Tax Institute of Malaysia. And we've been talking about transfer pricing and the changes that were made last year that will impact this year's filings for businesses. I'm Roshan Khan. I said we'll be back in just a bit, so keep it here to BFM 89.9, the business station. Being first matters. BFM 89.9. 
BFM 89.9, welcome back to Resource Center, your one-stop shop for insights and strategies to help you build, grow, and manage your business. I'm Roshan Kanesan. Today, we're talking about transfer pricing and some of the key changes that have been made to it with new rules coming in last year with effect with this year's tax filing for businesses. And helping me with this is Harvinder Singh, Managing Partner of Harvind Associates and Council Member with the Chartered Tax Institute of Malaysia. Um, Harvey, we will talk. We've, we will address some of the changes here and there when it comes to the changes that came to transfer pricing last year with the new rules, with the 2023 rule set. Um, talk to us, I guess, about the key changes in the rules that businesses need to be aware about uh, this year. Sure. Um, let's talk about the key changes, I think, uh, in the time that we have. Uh, I've talked about the revised definition of uh, contemporaneous documentation. And uh, the other one is actually, now we talked about the need to go out and look for external comparables. So if you have uh, 10 companies that you've picked as the suitable comparables, you've got the uh, you know the companies, the comparables with the, that are at the top of the arm's length range, mm-hmm. and you've got some with uh, results that are at the lower end. So you've got uh, a bottom. range. You've got a range. You've got a range of uh, uh, results. And the idea here would be to see whether the tested party, the company concerned, its results fall within that range. Mm. Right. So if uh, we were to have... Uh, the bottom of the arm's length range. I'm trying to use some very simple figures over here uh, and hopefully it makes sense. I believe it would. Uh, the bottom of the arm's length range is 2 mm-hmm. and the top of the arm's length range is 10. Let's assume that's the scenario that we have. And uh, with this uh, results, if the taxpayer, the tested party's margins are at 4.5, 4.5%, it is within that range. But uh, on top of that, uh, the TP rules that have come in uh, last year are narrowing that uh, acceptable margin range uh, to between 37.5% and 62.5% of that set of comparables. Uh, So that range is is narrowing. It's narrowed. So what happens now, the range that is acceptable has gone down to between 5 to 7, right? We started off with 2 to 10. And my results are at 4.5. My results are 4.5. And I'm within the range. But once there's a narrowing of this uh, acceptable range to between 5 to 7, I now fall below the uh, 5 uh, amount that's acceptable. I'm at 4.5. The median of this particular set of comparables would be 6. So with this, when... So the earlier 4.5% margin or gross margin is now no longer acceptable. No longer acceptable. Uh-huh. Uh, because you fall be- below the uh, acceptable range of between 5 to 7. Because the previous range was 2 to 10. Correct. Correct. Wow. Okay. And, uh, so yeah, basically, uh, the tax authorities, the DG is given the powers to adjust the margin that is earned by the taxpayer to the median, which is 6. So you have a, an adjustment of 1.5% that will be applied to your... Uh, revenue, etc., to determine what's the omitted income on which you got to pay tax. <laughs> so this, these are actually specific powers conferred upon the DG based on the TP rules of 2023. Previously, there was no uh, mention of any of this. We would rely on the OECD's model of uh, you know uh, what's an acceptable arm's length range. So just in a nutshell, that's the impact of it. Um, secondly. Even if the results of the taxpayer are within the range, let's say it was 5.5, but the tax authorities are not happy with the set of comparables that you've chosen. 
they say that, oh, it's not... Uh, it's inappropriate. They, so they're questioning your foundation for your range. Yeah, exactly. They, they, are, they are not uh, agreeing or whatever. It also gives the power to the DG to adjust the results to the median. So these are additional powers uh, conferred, <laughs> conferred upon the DG. And uh, I guess one final one that is uh, arising from, uh, I think, a recent court case right, uh, involving one of the uh, GLCs. It is about the ability of the DG to change the method. You know, we have, we have not gone into the details about the five methods and methodologies. We talked about the price method. We've talked a little bit about the gross margin or the margins method. And um, there's another method called the profit split method. You split the profits of the two entities based on functions carried out, who deserves more. Like Malaysia and Singapore, uh, that example that we had earlier, it's obvious that most of the profits should have been picked up in Malaysia. It's very judgmental. So in this case, the taxpayer had used the margin method, the net margin method, to validate that his transactions are carried out in an arm's length manner. But the IRB was not uh, agreeable oh, wow. uh, with that method. They wanted to impose the net, the, the profit, profit split method, another method, where they look at the relative uh, contribution mm. right, by the uh, two uh, entities. We can dive into the, the methodologies in a separate segment. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just, just I'm sure that there are five that are going to be yeah. super detailed, but just on the surface level. Yeah, right? so it's on the surface level. Yeah. So basically, the IRB decided to... Uh, used the other method, the, the profit, split, profit method. split method, which gave rise to an additional tax of 2.8 billion, right, for this GLC. Oh, I know who you're talking about yeah. now. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but this was the, uh, what the DG or the tax authorities attempted to do. Ultimately, I think it was settled out of court, arising from the difficulty faced, I believe, by the tax authorities at the courts, because there's no legal provision for this. Mm. That's the change that has another change that has come in. Mm. Giving the DG the powers, confers the powers on the DG to replace a method that is picked by the taxpayer, which may be a perfectly valid method with a method that uh, they feel is more suitable. And this will obviously, I believe, will be challenged in the courts as well. I think um, any any hopes I had or any dreams I had of starting my own business died in this conversation. I mean, uh, no, no, no. Uh, we, are, we are here to give you the necessary guidance and uh, <laughs> to ensure that uh, you comply and make your money as well. So let's talk about... Um, so there are a lot of enhanced powers here. Yeah. Have we covered everything that you want to cover in terms of the, the power set? Or is there uh, anything else you want to touch on there? Or can we move on to compliance? Uh, I think more or less the important the uh, changes that have come in with the mm. recent uh, you know amendments to the rules. Uh, I think are more or less covered. All right, let's yeah. talk about compliance then. Um, sure. How does IRB ensure, or how does IRB want to ensure compliance with the requirements of the new TP rules and guidelines? Well, I think uh, the Malaysian way is that you know if you don't follow, then you got uh, to deal with penalties. Okay, and, there we uh, go. <laughs> perhaps a jail term and all those things coming into the equation as well. So. Uh, there's a need, we talked about contemporaneous TP documentation, there's a need for taxpayers to prepare and have this uh, ready, f not to be submitted together with the tax return, but the tax authorities can request for this at any point in time, once the submission for the of the tax return is done. So within 14 days of the IRB's request, this documentation has to be furnished to the tax authorities. Otherwise, if you fail to do so, the taxpayer fails to do so, there's a penalty of between 20000 to 100000 uh, for failure to finish the documentation. And of course, if uh, the tax authorities conduct that TP audit and review and find that you know there are adjustments to be done and you've paid 
uh, underpaid your taxes or your pricing is too low or uh, your your margin setting is too low, etc., which gives rise to adjustments, transpressing adjustments, there'll be a 5% surcharge. There's a 5% tax, essentially, on that uh, adjustment that is done. So this, uh, the uh, and that 5% surcharge is to be collected in a similar manner as other taxes would be. So those are the uh, penalty provisions that you could see that are there to ensure <laughs> compliance. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so the short answer to that is penalties. Uh, so compliance is going to be a key part. Uh, indeed. indeed yeah. um, I guess to wrap up uh, this conversation, the, the next question on the minds of it, I'm sure many businesses is going to be, um, how far can IRB go, uh, right? So does the IRB conduct transfer pricing audits uh, going back to prior years of assessments to review TP policies and adherence to the TP rules? Uh, and if so, how far back can they go? Sure. Well, as with uh, other audits, the or you know the normal compliance requirements, filing a tax returns, the IRB has the powers to go back and uh, review uh, prior years, and similarly for transpricing as well. And for transpricing, actually, they can go back to up to seven years. For normal uh, tax matters, it's five years. There's a time bar of five years. But for transpricing, it's uh, seven years that they can go back to. Uh, of course, if there is an element of fraud, uh, willful default, or negligence uh, that perhaps is uh, you know, suspected by the tax authorities, and they could perhaps, they, they could then actually go beyond the uh, seven years. And of course, when I say suspect, uh, that's the uh, initial uh, perhaps uh, perception, but uh, in order to go back beyond five years for normal tax audits, for you know, go back beyond seven years for transpricing cases, there must be some evidence because the burden of proof, onus of proof is on the tax authorities to prove that there's been fraud and willful default and negligence. There must be cause. Yes, there must be cause. It's not just based on... Because uh, if know, not, why have the five-year, seven-year rule, right? If they yeah, can do it yeah, every time. Correct, correct. Yeah. All right, cool. Yeah. Uh, Havinder, as we come to a close in this conversation, is there anything you want to highlight? Anything else you want to say? Anything you want to tell businesses out there? You know, some of them may be feeling quite stressed out at this moment. <laughs> yeah, I think... Uh, Basically, there is really no running away from the need to prepare TP documentation in a timely manner and to ensure that uh, the validation of uh, related party transactions is uh, done and contained. The TP documentation needs to be complete because the IRB can also uh, sort of uh, find fault if the TP documentation is incomplete, doesn't contain certain uh, components that uh, that are required. So, no doubt it's a very technical area, uh, but there's no running away from it. It is uh, my, I suppose, uh, advice to all parties concerned to look at this seriously. And I do believe that, you know, with so much of emphasis on TP that has taken place over the last few years, and with global minimum tax coming in, and the need to again uh, ensure that you know, related pay transactions are carried out in an arm's length manner. TP is not going to go away. It's going to be there. It's going to be, uh, its importance is going to grow, I think, even more significantly in time to come. So it is an area for consultants to ensure that they are on top of things in advising their clients, for taxpayers to look at this uh, seriously and ensure that you adhere to the requirements of uh, uh, the TP rules and the TP guidelines. 
uh, busy year ahead for tax consultants. Indeed, indeed, yes. Um, and I wish all the tax consultants all the best ahead. Marilla, um, thank you so much for your time. It's been my pleasure, Roshan, and thank you so much for having me here again. Folks, I've been speaking with Harvinder Singh. He's the managing partner of Harvey and Associates and council member with the Chartered Tax Institute of Malaysia, more commonly known as CTIM. You've been listening to the all-new Resource Centre, your one-stop shop for insights and strategies to help you build, grow and manage your business. And if you missed any part of this conversation, you can catch the podcast on the BFM app. Our shows are also on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and your usual podcast app. Just look for Resource Centre. I'm Roshan Keep it here to BFM 89.9, the business station. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.